This is Anchored in Christ, the sermon podcast that gives you hope in the gospel as an anchor for your soul. Brought to you from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. It is a joy to be outdoors worshiping with you today. We are in the series on the Sermon on the Mount, spoken by Jesus to his disciples. Disciples are disciplined learners. People who are apprenticing themselves to Jesus, watching him, imitating him, learning from him, wanting to be like him. So Jesus gives this Sermon on the Mount in the Gospel according to Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, which is what you are encouraged to be reading during the week in preparation for next week and our time in sermon uh, in the park. So as we read the Sermon on the Mount, we're going to find that there is a problem, and that is that Jesus intensifies what it means to be a disciple. He intensifies it far beyond what we would ever imagine. So let us now hear the word of the Lord. We will be reading in verses 21 through 48 of chapter 5, selected verses. You have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, and you will be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you will be liable to the council. And if you say, you fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. So when you are offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother or sister and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are on the way to court with him. Or your accuser may hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you will be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. It was also said, Whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that anyone who divorces his wife, except on the grounds of unchastity, causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not swear falsely, but carry out the vows you have made to the Lord. But I say to you, Do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is the footstool, or by Jerusalem, it is the city of the great king. Let your word be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything more than this comes from the evil one. 
You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evildoer. If anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your coat, give your cloak as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go the second mile. Give to everyone who begs from you. Do not refuse anyone who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Be perfect, therefore as your heavenly Father is perfect. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we are asking that by your Holy Spirit, we would hear a word that goes not only into our ears, through our mind, but into our heart, and that we might find ourselves children of God, growing up to be like you. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Well, today we are celebrating mothers. I don't know if you're aware that every year our government puts out a study of how much it costs to raise a child for 17 years. Every year. Now, the most recent study has shown that for raising one child for 17 years will cost the average family $235,000, roughly $14,000 a year. Now the study, just to encourage you, Tyler, the study also shows that the older your children get, the more expensive they are. Now you can get a four-year-old a, a, a toy car, but it costs a lot more to get car insurance for a 16-year-old. It also shows that the more children you have, the cost goes down per child, and they're cheaper by the dozen. So if any of you are in, you know, wanting to know, cheaper by the dozen. It costs a lot to raise a child. But we do it, and we pay the cost because of love. We love them. What does it cost to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? The Sermon on the Mount tells us. But for many, many people, when they read the Sermon on the Mount, it sounds to them like Jesus is exaggerating. A little bit like setting your clock forward maybe half an hour just to make sure that you get up in time and get to school. Is Jesus just giving us such a high standard that we just won't relax? Or does he really mean what he says? I think we're going to find that answer if we 
Consider what we do believe Jesus means. We have Jesus speaking to an inquiring lawyer who's putting Jesus to the test. It's recorded in Matthew 22. And he says, what is the greatest commandment? Jesus responds, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Jesus is saying that the entire Hebrew scripture, the Old Testament, is fulfilled with that law of loving God and neighbor. Now, did Jesus mean business there? I think we would unanimously say, yeah, he really did. Then we're going to look at Sermon on the Mount and find out that Jesus is applying what love looks like when there's relational pain. Relational pain. It's what 101% of us experience every week. There are all kinds of human pains, friction in relationships. They may be that small kind that you feel that feeling when you're driving and you've got a rude driver, or you've got a thoughtless neighbor, or you have a mean classmate or a challenging coworker. It can be that deep kind of relational pain. When it's a family member who gives you a certain look or says a word or does something that hurts you to the core. Relational pain is experienced whenever we feel dominated or used, abused, dismissed, put down. Where did relational pain come from? It certainly wasn't part of God's creation. In the beginning, there was a, a union of the marital relationship. There was harmony in relationship with God. There was great freedom and joy. But in Genesis 3, we find that the serpent deceived Adam and Eve, and they disobeyed God the first thing that they felt was shame. You know, there is a difference in shame and guilt. Guilt is when we feel like we've done something wrong. Shame is when we feel like we are something wrong. In shame, Adam and Eve hid from God and they covered themselves with leaves. On the heels of this shame came blame. God said to Adam, Did you eat of the tree from which I commanded you not to eat? And Adam responds in a way that's almost funny. He doesn't say yes. He doesn't say no. He doesn't shrug his shoulders. He doesn't say tree? What tree? He says, She did it. The woman that you gave me. He blames his wife, and he blames God. 
what we have in Genesis 3 is God's description of relational pain that comes as a consequence. We don't have a prescription. God is not writing what it should be in relationships. He writes a description. He describes the people are going to feel cut off from God. The women are going to have pain in childbearing. The marriages will suffer relational pain through competition and domination. Even work will be affected. It will become something that depletes us. We see in Genesis 4 that this relational pain spreads. It spreads like radioactivity from the Chernobyl nuclear accident. And it just keeps on going. But God is not willing to leave us in relational pain. He intervenes for our good. What we find is God restrains relational pain through his good laws. Amanda Zeller is a vice principal of a high school. I guarantee you that at her high school, there are rules that restrain students' behavior in the hallways, the classrooms, on the premises. In the same way God establishes laws, they're moral, they're spiritual laws that are meant to restrain relational pain. So in the Mosaic Law, which we find in Exodus and, and Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the last four of the Pentateuch, we find the Ten Commandments found in Exodus 20, Deuteronomy 5. Do you know what it's all about? Relationships. The first four commandments have to do with our right relationship with God. Now, this is how it looks. I'm going to put a restraint around you getting outside of the bounds. The last six commandments are relationships with our family, with our neighbor, with those outside. So God restrains relational pain. Let's look at Leviticus 24.20 as an example. That is where it says the injury that's been inflicted is the injury that someone else should suffer. This is the eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. It's lex talionis, the basis of the American civil law. Before God gave this law, it was okay to be so vindictive that a slight insult against one family member could result in maiming or killing others. This is long before the mafia. Do you see how God's laws restrain relational pain? God, what God does is he moves the scrimmage line through the law so that it gets closer toward the goal of relational wholeness with God and people. And through the law, little by little, we learn how to live. That there are limits to what the law can do. Laws, like rules, can be broken. Let's ask Amanda, the vice principal. Do students ever break rules at school? Oh, you. <laughs> okay, we're supposed to laugh <laughs> because they students do. 
Now, there are laws that are posted on our streets and highways. They're called speed limits. They're not just rules, they're laws. But people break rules if they think the vice principal is not around. And we break laws if we think a police officer or a state patroller is not hiding around the corner with a speed gun. In the same way, we break God's laws. The other problem that we have is that the law cannot get us to the end goal. God's laws cannot put us in right relationship with God and one another. Gets us closer, but doesn't get us all the way. That's because right relationships depend on love. I want to do a little sidebar here. Love versus like. Now, kids, you could say, I love my mom. I love chocolate ice cream. I love recess. But you see, there's a difference there. You probably like chocolate ice cream and recess because like means that you desire it because it gives you some sense of pleasure. Love is when there is a will to see the good. To see the good, whether you feel like it or not, you want something good for that person. So love is different than like. So observing God's law does not ensure that we're going to love. Of course, we could keep it obedience out of duty. We could say, I pay taxes out of duty, not love. I floss my teeth out of duty, certainly not love for my dentist. But which spouse, which grandparent, which child wants to be cared for out of duty rather than love? No family member is satisfied if we are showing them a duty toward them. What we want is to be loved, just as God wants our love, not just duty. So Jesus shows us that there's a limit to the law. It can only be fulfilled by love. We're going we're gonna to do a deep dive now into just one of those that we read. Take the sixth commandment, you shall not murder. Whew, good, you think. That's one of the commandments I have not broken. I have not murdered anyone. But now Jesus intensifies the commandment. He repeats a three-part pattern. He says, you've heard it said, but I say to you, and then he gives a practical application to respond to relational pain. So we read in chapter 5, verse 21, you've heard that it was said you shall not murder. Whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. I say if you're angry with a brother or sister, you're liable to judgment. If you insult a brother or sister, you're liable to the council. If you say, you fool, you are liable to the hell of fire. He says, this is not limited to killing a body. This is if you insult. That word is raka. It means you good for nothing good for nothing. It's 
having in our attitude, either our words or our behavior of, you are not useful to me. You are of no use to me. You're kind of good for nothing. So Jesus says, if, if that's what you're thinking, if that's how you're acting, then you are guilty. You are guilty before the host of heaven. If we go a step further, calling someone a fool, that's in, in Greek, moros, we, comes into English as moron. It means not only are you good for nothing, you are, you are, you are worthless. Anything you think, anything you say is worthless. You're a moron. Now, we would say we hear that word in English as idiot. And I have to say that probably the cable TV news is full of guilty people. But how many of us have crossed the line, not just what we said, but how we thought about people? You are useless. You are, you are, have nothing to do with with my value. So what practical step does Jesus give us? If we are in prayer, if we are giving an offering, if we have any slight conviction that we are, that someone else has something against us, if we ask that person, how did that, how did he treat you? If that person could say, I don't feel very valued. I certainly feel put down or ignored or abused. Then Jesus says, stop whatever religious practice you're doing. Go and be reconciled with that person. So we find that in all of these that Jesus gives, we are to replace the question, have I kept my duty with what does love look like in this situation? Am I serving the law of love? Now, next Sunday in Sermon in the Park, we're going to be really processing the content of today and what we hear next week. So I want you to come with your Bibles and your questions. You're not going to be left sharing ignorance. We're going to be looking together in facilitated conversations. But for now, we can say that we know that we have relational pain, that God gives us restraint on this pain through the good law, but that we can't fulfill the goal without love. We need now a remedy for the heart. The remedy comes in relationship with God. 16 times in the Sermon on the Mount, in three chapters, 16 times we hear, your Father, your Father. What Jesus does is he gives us his Father and makes us children of God. Does God love people? Yes. Does God forgive? Yes. Does God love his enemies? Yes. Does God look like Jesus Christ? Yes. Jesus says, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. 
That's why we end this passage with be perfect, even as your heavenly Father is perfect. That word perfect does not mean you don't have any flaws. It means you get to the end goal. You reach the goal. You get there. That means that you will have love as the perfection. What will it cost? More than children. It will cost everything. Some people are bothered by Jesus' words, be perfect. Reach the goal. C.S. Lewis was one of those people. He said that when he was a child and he had a toothache, he would go to his mother and she would get him something for the pain, but the next day she would take him to the dentist. That's not what he wanted. He wanted to have the pain dealt with. But when you went to the dentist, they would fiddle around with all the teeth and they would generally find something that wasn't yet hurting and have to deal with that. And so he said, why don't the dentist just let sleeping dogs lie? You give them an inch and they take a mile. He goes on to say, our Lord is like the dentist. If you give him an inch, he will take a mile. People go to him to be cured of some particular sin that's really loathsome to them or bothersome getting in the way. And he'll cure that sin all right. But he will not stop there. That may be all that you ask of him. Take this away from me. But once you call him in, he gives you the full treatment. Friends, that's what we're in for. That's what we can expect. The full treatment is that we will become entirely different breed of human being. We actually will become the children of God, full of love. It will be mature. Like when we see anyone, we say to God, I will never, God helping me, do anything to hurt you either by angrily lashing out at you, lustfully sidling up to you, faithlessly slipping away from you, verbally oiling you up, protectively hitting you back, or even justifiably disliking you. Always ask, in any situation where there's relational pain, what does love look like in this situation father help me because he is your father he's our father he gives us the way of Jesus let us pray Jesus not only do you raise the bar but you open heaven and so we pray that we would have that willingness and that faith to ask for you to come and perfect us. Bring us to the goal line. Help us to remember in whatever pain we have in relationships that there is a way of love that you will provide. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. 
If you'd like more information about our historic church, or you'd like to find out more about the gospel of Jesus, please visit our website at oldsouthnbpt.org. The peace of Christ be with you.